The Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, or TCEQ, is the chief regulating body for environmental issues in the state of Texas. Its responsibility is to protect citizens from harm and help build a healthy, resilient state. However, the body has long been viewed as a lax regulator with close ties to industry. TCEQ has been in headlines across the state over the last weeks as a result of a major news story that found that the state body was often being manipulated by polluters who were able to eschew stringent regulations by claiming they were smaller, often using the guise of smaller level of emissions across multiple facilities near each other or directly attached to one another in lieu of acknowledging their cumulative emissions. This is a big story affecting a variety of polluting industries across the state and taking place all over Texas. We're here with the reporters who broke the story to dive into what's been happening and what it means for the future of environmental protection and health across Texas. I'm Weston Twardowski, an instructor in Rice University's Environmental Studies program and the program manager of the Diluvial Houston Initiative, and you're listening to Gulf Streams on KPFT Houston 90.1 FM, Galveston 89.5 FM, and Huntsville 89.7 FM, where we talk with leading experts and community leaders to better understand the environmental problems and potential solutions facing our community. And so today in the studio, we have the three reporters who originally broke the story, Dylan Bador, Martha Pakowski, and Alejandra Martinez. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to talk to you about this important issue. Yeah, happy to be here. Um, so just to start us off, can, can you introduce yourselves to our listeners and, and tell us a little about uh, who you are, who you work for, and, and, and how you came across this, uh, this story? Sure. Well, uh, my name is Dylan Bedore. I cover Texas for Inside Climate News, uh, you know, since um, August of 2022. Uh, I was Inside Climate News' first hire uh, in Texas, so we've really got some momentum uh, since then. Um, born and raised here. I used to, uh, born in Houston, actually, worked at the Chronicle uh, for a while uh, in years past. But uh, um, yeah, I'll, I'll let uh, I'll let in. Uh, Martha, introduce themselves, and we can talk, I guess, about how the story got started. Um, I'm Martha Piskowski. I live in El Paso, and I'm also a Texas reporter for Inside Climate News, um, and was previously with the El Paso Times. Yeah, and um, I'm Alejandra Martinez. I'm an environmental reporter with the Texas Tribune. Um, been there for a little over a year. And yeah, this kind of just, this this really got started with Dylan um, and um, the way that the Texas Tribune came in were partner newsrooms. So um, it just, he reached out to me and I'll let him take it from here as to how this came about. Sure. So um, in 2023, we were at Inside Climate News in Texas under orders to uh, develop investigations on the environmental regulators here in Texas, primarily the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, the TCEQ, and the Texas Railroad Commission. Uh, so um, back in the spring, you know, we I should say our editor at Inside Climate News used to be the editor in charge of the Houston Chronicle. And I worked for him there. That's Vernon Loeb. So he's somewhat familiar with the situation in Texas and how things work here. And he really had this idea to put us, you know, hard uh, on the environmental regulators. So he said, 
go uh, spend a few months asking as many questions as you can about the TCQ. Uh, and it was really out of those months of asking questions that this theme of, uh, you know, um, major and minor permits came up uh, again and again. And um, over the months, also, we went collecting these examples. Uh, in the end, we had 10 of them. Uh, and, you know, every time one of those came up, just sort of jot it down. Uh, and then when it came time to really dive in, uh, we built out all 10 of those examples, as you can read in the story. And so just to, to clarify a little bit, I know we've, we've talked previously on the program about the Railroad Commission. Um, we haven't talked as much about the TCEQ uh, per se. And so I'm just wondering, can can one of you break down a little bit for us? What What is the Texas Commission on Environmental Equality? What, what is their purview? What is their responsibilities? Uh, what is their role? And, and just, you know, what were the expectations around the TCEQ? Sure. Anybody want to take that? Sure. Um, so the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality uh, permits thousands of facilities around the state. Um, and if we're talking like in terms of oil and gas, which is a big part of the, the industry here in Texas, they're usually on the more downstream end. So when the gas is transported or the oil is transported and refined. So if you think uh, refinery, um, gas stations, all those fall under the TCEQ's purview. Um, and, you know, it just came under sunset review last year. So there's been issues brought up over the years just about um, the limited opportunities for public participation and, you know, how difficult it is to challenge specific permits. So the story was kind of looking at like a one aspect of that. And, and what do you mean by sunset review? I like maybe you want to talk about that one because I know yeah, you yeah I was just about to jump in and just be like yeah so the sunset review is kind of an evaluation of how um, a state agency is doing their job and it happens every uh, decade and so this year during the legislative session TCEQ went under an evaluation where um, a sunset commission um, kind of pointed out a couple of ways that the agency was slightly missing, you know, or missing the mark. Um, um, and that's what Marta was talking about when it comes to public engagement, um, translating permit notices, um, um, cutting um, public comment periods right after a meeting and not allowing for more public comments afterwards. Maybe residents might have found out about this late when it was being talked, you know, the minute it was being talked about, not before, right? And how to engage with communities prior to these decisions being made. So um, you mentioned um, what do kind of people expect from the TCEQ? And it goes back to what Dylan was kind of talking about and a lot of conversations that I feel like the three of us have had with residents. Um, their faith in the TCEQ is low and they just... Um, 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 wish there was more more communications and opportunities to weigh in um, ahead of like big decisions like this being made. And so in, to just to clarify there, a good part of what you're talking about is, is really that role of TCEQ as environmental regulators protecting citizens from pollution, from, from various other environmental problems, right? Yeah, correct. Mm -hmm. 
And so I, I, I want to jump back now. Uh, Dylan had started to, to walk through kind of the main thrust of your article, which is focusing on uh, this regulations really across the state. And you, you have 10 examples, which you also note is not, you know, meant to represent every example of this problem in the state, or, or rather just, you know, kind of a, a here are 10 that we, we focused on. Um, but you mentioned this, you know, major versus minor permitting. And, and there's a lot of granular and important detail in, in the article. Um, and so I want to give some attention to what exactly is this difference between major and minor permitting? And why does it matter? Why are, why are we reading about it? And the Houston Chronicle and the Texas Observer and the Texas Tribune and everywhere else that's that's running with this story that you've just put out. Well, uh, you're reading about it in all those places because ICN has a great partner distribution network and we're making great impact in Texas. Um, so major and minor permits, as you say, this is very complicated, but to boil it all down. Um, <clears throat> let's let's take a few steps back. So. The landmark environmental laws of the United States are the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act, which really, you know, change the shape of this country. Uh, those acts re uh, required the states to take these federal laws and enforce them. And the states make their own plans uh, in how to enforce them. Thus is born uh, TCEQ, which enforces federal environmental laws. So uh, those laws required the issuing of permits for pollution and setting of limits and requirement of uh, pollution reduction technology uh, and all this, you know, uh, long list of things you got to do if you want to build a refinery or any of these other, uh, you know, fairly toxic facilities. So um, these laws set very detailed requirements for what permitting entails, and they split basically permitting into two categories major and minor. Uh, lots of people would say that's way too simple to say it, but um, we'll go with that. There's no fixed number on what is the difference between a major and a minor. The rules change based on the substance and the spot. But for example, uh, 25 tons per year of volatile organic compound emissions can be the threshold for a major source. If Sorry, you propose you to tell us a little, what what is volatile compound? <laughs> what, what what is that yeah. that you just said? <laughs> yeah, see, there's a lot of points that uh, need to be broken out here. So, volatile organic compounds is basically um, you probably know it as the smell of uh, gas, butane, methane. Uh, volatile means that it's gaseous at atmospheric temperature and pressure. Uh, and organic compounds means that it is, you know, carbon-based, which it, in fact, most of the these will come from petroleum. Okay. Uh, so methane uh, is a, you know, I think the most common volatile organic compound or VOC, uh, but petroleum and petroleum gas are full of hundreds of such uh, gases, including things like xylene and benzene and a hundred that you've never heard of. Um, so none of these uh, sound like they're, they're good for me. This doesn't, this doesn't sound like a, a nice, healthy, uh, uh environment. <laughs> no. And benzene are particularly bad for you. So, uh, we can reference these as VOCs go moving forward. Cause that's typically what people call them. VOCs. Volatile volatile organic organic. Again. 
Uh -huh. They're a main contributor to ozone, which most of the cities in Texas have a ozone or smog problem. So VOCs are one of the big um, contributors to ozone that we see in all our cities. No, that's really, thank you for that note. Yeah, that's uh, Houston is one of the things we talk about constantly is ozone levels. Um, there's a number of communities in town where we really can't trace where uh, the ozone is coming from, but we know they have elevated, I'm thinking of A-leaf in particular, but that's that's really, um, thank you, that's helpful, yeah. Which, yeah, which ozone contributes to respiratory problems and impacts health and asthma, and so, yeah. Yeah, thank you. All right, I'll, let me let's get back to the major or minor because now we're we're at the point. So uh, you got to get a permit for a major or minor source. A permit for a major source of pollution requires uh, a lot: air uh, modeling and impact analysis, a whole public input and engagement process. Um, it, depending on where you are, it may include pollution offset credits, so you have to pay to remove as much pollution as you're proposing to uh, contribute, uh, and many things like this. Um, so the key here is that companies have a whole whole arsenal of tricks to avoid classifying their facilities as major. So when they seek these federally required pollution permits, uh, they do not have to uh, engage in any of that, you know, um, pretty stringent review that would be required by federal law for a major source. So that, that's uh, what we tried to uh, document in this investigation. And so what, you know, you, you mentioned that the major review really requires a whole lot of things and the minor is easier, but can you can you give us just a little more detail on like what is required for a, for a minor permit? It's, it's nothing like this or, you know, what is the, the real difference there? Well, there are several, um, permits that fit under the category of minor permit. Uh, they can be called standard permit and a permit by rule. So it varies. Uh, however, in the most drastic variations, let's say uh, application for a major pollution permit can be hundreds of pages long, a massive binder. An application for a permit by rule can be three to four pages long. Uh, I think an app uh, to file an application for a major permit can cost you know, uh, $75,000 more or less. That's your application fee uh, for a permit by rule. I'm not sure what it is actually, but, um, you know, it's probably uh, $1,000 or, or less. Wow. Um, it's a huge, it's a huge difference. And the time that it takes to prepare this application and the cost that it takes to hire a consulting firm to prepare this application uh, are hugely different. Uh, not to mention, for a major permit application, it has to be submitted for federal review by the EPA. And the EPA then gets a chance to poke holes in it and tell you things to fix. A minor permit has no such requirements. So you don't, you know, the EPA doesn't need to check your work. Uh, and there are lots, lots of things um, like that. But it's a tremendous difference, uh, really, in the requirements for those two permit classes. 
So, I mean, one of the things you, you mentioned earlier was the fact that the TCEQ is responsible for enforcing those federal regulations, those federal guidelines. And so it's interesting that you're, you know, hinting at the fact that they're they're skirting around some of this through these minor permits. Um, one of the things that I think is that you make really clear in there is, is that skirting around. Uh, and you there's at least one really great graphic in the article that breaks out a, a plant that, you know, gets approved in stages, I think is is right, uh, and, and winds up being three minor permits that, that are all directly next to each other. And you can see kind of where the first group gets approved and put in and the second is right next door and that these are all you know it's it's not three separate facilities on three parts of town these are directly next to each other so can you talk a little about how uh, how corporations are are really just using this not just as a okay we'll switch to a smaller facility we'll we'll not build a major plant but are actually it seems really building you know major facilities under the guise of of minor permits yes that's uh, correct i'd say so I'll tell you about that example, and then um, can let Martha and Ali tell you about the, some tricks that they they looked at here. So what you referenced there was ITC's Pasadena Terminal. Now, uh, don't be mistaken, Houston listeners, that is not ITC's Deer Park facility, which burnt with a giant smoke plume in 2019. Uh, the ITC Pasadena Terminal is different. And uh, indeed, they built a 180-acre terminal for petroleum and petroleum products uh, full of dozens of tanks that you know are as large as a football field and hold hundreds of Olympic-sized swimming pools. Wow. Um, but instead of seeking one permit to build these tanks, um, they sought three permits. And as I mentioned before, in Houston, the threshold for a major source was 25 tons of VOC emissions. So ITC seeks permits to authorize 24.9 tons per year of VOC emissions. Uh, and then, in fact, they sought multiple permits like this, which were just up to the threshold, but not passing it. Uh, so they um, never had to, you know, undergo that major source review process. Uh, as lawyers pointed out in petitions, all of these three permitted projects that ITC built are connected to the same marine docks, the same rail yards, the same truck terminals. They use the same pipes. Uh, if you look at them uh, mapped out on a diagram of the site, it is entirely obvious that this is one site, one tank farm loading onto these docks. Um, yet by permitting, permitting it as separate facilities, they avoided things like pollution offset credit. Uh, because Houston already has bad air quality, the EPA requires uh, new major sources of pollution to pay to retire older sources of pollution. ITC didn't do that, mm. um, among many other things. And one of the most interesting things in this case was that the uh, documents on file with the TCEQ showed that TCEQ permitting staff were aware of this, were concerned about this, uh, pushed back repeatedly even got into a pretty heated exchange with the consultants preparing this application. Uh, yet in the end, they let it uh, slide through. So say more about tactic, that. I mean, if, if it seems like TCEQ is pushing back here, then like wh wh what's happening? Why, why does it suddenly, because you mentioned that, you know, and it changed and but why, what, what's happening there that, 
there's this sudden uh no we're not gonna we're not gonna make you go through the major process well uh the paper trail does not reveal exactly what happens in those dark spots however you can find them there in the story yourself uh we chose not to quote you know outside uh, experts who would all be anonymous because they can't talk to inside climate news um we 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 chose not to quote them speculating however in general uh i've heard a lot of speculation on how things work and here's the situation uh unlike the other environmental regulator texas the railroad commission commissioners of the tcq are not elected they are appointed by the governor so in fact they work for the governor and that's uh fair and square the Texas Capitol is full of energy company lobbyists. There is a lot of money for oil company lobbying uh, in Austin. So, in fact, if you have trouble getting your, um, you know, multi-billion-dollar oil project through the TCEQ, uh, you can't do have the option of hiring a lobbyist to contact the governor's office to ask the governor to ask the commissioners to help you uh, move through this process um, more freely. Uh, and that's a legitimate political option. Hard to say when it was used, um, but I think we have uh, highlighted some possibilities um, right there. So other than that, we just see that uh, the staff of the TCQ, the people down in the numbers and calculations often raise concerns. But when it gets up to the level of the uh, you know, more political folks who run the show, uh, those concerns don't, you know, often are not, not um, often dismissed. Well, and something that you you note in the article, one of the the reviewers on on this particular plant um, who had raised concerns about about the permitting process uh, after pushing it through, then left to go work for the consulting group that was directly putting this permit together, right? Yes, indeed. Uh, and this, um, yeah, like you say, there was this uh, fairly young TCQ permit reviewer who repeatedly said in the documents on the record, we're not comfortable with this. Uh, this seems to be improper. Uh, here are some other options. And the consulting firm uh, had to, you know, do battle with this guy for a while. And after the thing was all over, the consulting firm hired uh, the permit engineer. And this is pretty, um, you know, exemplary of a broader trend we see where uh, TCQ it can be a training ground to go work uh, in private industry because that's just where more money is. Um, you know, you can you make more money uh, for a, you know, permitting consultant than you would for the state agency. Uh, so that's where lots of the top uh, top talent ends up is where the money is. Well, I think it's something that I've certainly heard from a number of environmental advocates throughout the state is it's it's a it's a known reality that the TCEQ is something of a revolving door uh, with these kind of organizations and industry. Um, I want to I want to jump over to uh, Alejandra and Martha to, to talk a little bit about some of the examples that you're you're seeing this uh, throughout the state in different places. If we can, because you, you go through a list of, of 10 examples and, and noting that, you know, this is uh, just representative and not at all means uh, by any means to be, you know, the full list of of kind of cases like this but can you walk us through a few more of, of what these look like 
Yeah, so um, here in North Texas, specifically in Dallas, there is a uh, shingles factory um, in West Dallas. Uh, uh, this is a predominantly like Hispanic community, um, low income community that's been for decades complaining about um, just really bad smells and loud noises of this company. And um, a lot of residents in that community have uh, are sick um, with respiratory issues. And one of the reasons we highlighted this example is because one of the um, things that kind of separates um, the major permits from the minor permits is for the major permits, there's a lot more opportunities for public participation, which going back to our earlier conversations about what our residents really asking for from our Texas uh, environmental regulators is more opportunities of that. And um, basically in the, you know, in this case, um, GAF, the uh, shingles factory in West Dallas was asking or was trying to renew its major source pollution permit in 2021. And so they did the process where they submitted this permit to the TCEQ, TCEQ sent it off to the EPA. Um, there was um, a meeting where um, dozens of residents. This was during COVID time. So they logged on online and voiced their concerns. There were local officials there, um, state representatives kind of backing up um, their own, th those concerns and had their own concerns. And um, shortly after that, the EPA um, came back to the TCQ with a response kind of saying that um, um, kind of listing the 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 complaints or I guess the the concerns that people had with this company uh, about um, their sulfur dioxide going back to one of those hazardous pollutants um, um, emissions being way above the uh, major source, you know, source pollution kind of requirement, um, and just um, also asked, telling them, or EPA also went back to the TCQ kind of stating that the way that the, that in the permit, it's listed that this company is tracking those emissions um, were either not clear, or precise, or simply just outdated. So this was a this was an example of the EPA having concerns about this major source pollution uh, permit. And when the EPA did that at the time, you know, I talked to um, one West Dallas resident who is kind of, I guess, the one of the biggest leaders in the community for advocating for her community and kind of has this whole campaign where she wants this company to just leave and exit. Um, um, she was saying that when the EPA kind of took that stance and went back to the TCEQ, it was a moment of, of uh, like victory and celebration for them because it was kind of indicative that, oh, someone's looking at us and paying attention to our concerns and they're not just us uh, being worried, but there's actual evidence that there's something fishy or something wrong here. And, um, but, you know, that 
that kind of moment didn't really last long because shortly after those objections from the EPA, um, the same company, uh, GAF, the shingle factory, uh, voided that major source permit and applied instead for a minor permit um, saying that you know, proposing that they were going to decommission one of their uh, production lines, uh, lower emissions, and, um, 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 and that now they were kind of uh, being able to just be a minor source permit instead of a major source because they didn't, they were saying that they just didn't apply for that permit anymore. So in this example, this kind of, because they applied again in this minor source permit, it didn't really give residents an opportunity to, you know, participate in that public participation or public comment period again for this minor source permit. And it just kind of followed the steps and it got approved. And, um, um, the company is still in operation today. This community is still kind of um, looking for ways um, um, to just reduce the plant or reduce the amount that's that's being polluted. Yeah, yeah. Basically, what they said, and you know, they voided the major source permit. They went to a minor source, and what they said in their minor source permit was like, "We have a plan to reduce emissions. We are gonna stop working this one line, which actually, you know, according to some people, it had." you know, it had stopped work, they had stopped using that line years prior. So some um, um, lawyers who represent, a lawyer that represents the West Dallas community said, well, that doesn't really, that 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 doesn't really count because that uh, line of production um, was already not in use, right? So there was just, they listed a number of examples that, um, um, they called it, um, the GAF representatives called it like a plan to reduce emissions. And um, um, that's how they were able to apply for the minor source permit. So in in the residents' eyes, they were still just, you know, especially in Janie's eyes, she was just unhappy in the way that it was very evident to her in this line of events that how can a company that has been a major source for so long just kind of retract their application when the EPA objects and says, you've done X, Y, and Z, you know, wrong, and we need you to like kind of fix those issues and then apply for a minor source and then be approved by state regulators because in that process, they don't need input. You know, there, there's no need, input needed from the federal agency. And so, I mean, I think something as well there that, that you've hinted at that it's come up a little bit, but I mean, that, that's worth reinforcing is that fact that there's not these on the ground uh, need for, for community impact as well and for really engagement there for the minor source, which, yeah, I can I can certainly imagine that if you were you know, a member of the community who thought they were going to have say in this and then suddenly find, oh, no, we can go through a different permitting process and just not let locals weigh in. Yeah, how, how disenfranchising that would feel. Yeah, and at the same time, while all of this was happening, um, you know, the the company was also in talks with the city council. Um, basically, these concerns from residents have happened for so long that they've gone to their council members and they've also raised them up there in Dallas. And so the Dallas uh, 
city council member that represents that district said at the time that he was going to start conversations with this company so there can be more uh uh, communication between like the company and its residents and holding potential town halls and things like that. So um, while this, you know, environmental regulation process was going, these conversations were happening. And for residents, I felt like we're seeing two different things being like happening at the same time, the company kind of um, 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 trying to classify themselves as a minor source and then also saying that um, 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 they want to have these conversations with us and have a plan of exiting the community. And so for them, they, the, and those conversations are still ongoing. Um, this company in West Dallas, um, had promised or had, had said and put out a press release that they were going to leave this community, um, uh, and have a plan of exit within seven years from this community because of concerns from residents, but there just hasn't been anything, um, um, concrete, uh, or any sort of like documentation to prove that. So this is just like an ongoing battle for residents and, um, um, yeah. And, and I think for Janie in particular, who was kind of at that moment in 2021 on the rise of her like environmental activism, this was the first indicator of her, for her that, um, this, um, that this kind of skirting or this kind of uh, um, thing can happen in Texas. Thanks. Martha, I think you, you did you wanna jump in? Sure, um, I'll talk about uh, some of the examples I worked on. Um, one is related to these uh, upset events, which uh, the Environmental Integrity Project is an NGO that's done a lot uh, looking into this issue. So in these cases, um, companies have permits that are under the major source threshold. So one of the examples I wrote about is a emergency flare owned by Chevron out in Crane County. Um, so this would be to flare off excess natural gas. Okay. Uh, and the flare is actually only permitted for enough emissions for basically the pilot light, not the gas that's being flared. Um, how, how is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> um, we should ask TCQ more about that one, but essentially, um, because that's under the threshold, then um, the company has been reporting emissions as upset events, which is sort of a wider problem in TCQ's regulations, because companies can say this is an upset event, um, therefore emergencies or unanticipated issues um, that you know they can't plan for. So all of those emissions that they report as upset events do not count towards their permitted amount of emissions. Oh. Um, so in this case, uh, the flare they reported upset events um, of sulfur dioxide specifically that for four consecutive years, those emissions exceeded what a major source permit um, what would trigger a major source permit. Um, but because they were reported as upset events, um, you know, Chevron remained in compliance with their minor source permit. 
Um, in this case, the company has enrolled in a kind of voluntary compliance program with the TCEQ. Uh, so they did somewhat acknowledge this is an issue, um, but you know, lawyers with Environmental Integrity Project have pointed this out for years that the TCEQ doesn't really follow up um, in most cases to say, was this actually an emergency? Um, how can you, you know, prove that your company couldn't have foreseen this? Because otherwise these upset events just allow um, emissions that are not accounted for at all in the permits. So whatever, um, you know, is included in the permit, then you have, in some cases, hundreds of tons of emissions on top of that. Um, so those were two of the examples we included of how these upset events uh, allow companies to get a minor source permit, but ultimately emit as much pollution as a major source would emit. So uh, kind of in a different vein than the other examples, but uh, also pretty alarming. No, absolutely. That's, yeah. So so one of the things that I that I am confused on there is, uh, and, and this gets to somewhat what, what Alejandro was talking about, is, you know, is the role of the EPA. And I, I realize they're a federal regulator, and I realize that the minor permits are, are allowing TCEQ to get around that. But it seems like EPA is, you know, occasionally rejecting things or weighing in or saying, you know, things are are, are not being, um, you know, fairly uh, adjudicated. Uh, so, so where is the EPA on this? What What is their responsibility in, in this process? Well, um, like other things, it's complicated. As I mentioned, since the federal law requires states to enforce uh, environmental regulations, the EPA uh, maintains oversight. So the EPA basically is watching over Texas to make sure uh, they do things right. Most people in the environmental space would agree there's a long list of pretty you know, uh, widespread um, problems with that. Uh, however, the EPA you know, uh, speak up for them. They are engaged on many. Oh no! no. Sorry, my headphones have disconnected. Uh, can you go? Can you go back just uh, like thirty seconds and say what you repeat what you were saying? Because we we kind of lost the audio on you. Sorry, the EPA is engaged in many tiny fronts on these permits. Uh, there uh, do lots of little things, little tweaks, little comments, a, a lot. What advocates in Texas want uh, is much uh, bigger action, um, uh, kind of stepping the scale uh, up um, to take on the big ideas instead of uh, engaging so much with the granular detail, perhaps. Um, now, uh, to see it from the EPA's perspective, we have to remember that Texas has, is famous for suing the EPA. Our governor, Greg Abbott, as attorney general, uh, loved to sue the EPA. Um, uh, the Obama EPA, and um, is there so regulations I assume, or excuse me, is there over regulations I assume? Yeah, over over many things. Um, I I don't remember the details, but uh, I know under Obama the EPA came out with many new rules and regulations, and Texas regularly um, tried you know fought against those. A anyway, the a EPA faces a um, a challenge of, of face, of saving face in Texas, because 
Uh, we are such a big industry state and industry is such a big supporter of our political system and of our political establishment that, um, you know, our leadership here would take a very strong stance against any EPA attempt to crack down, which would cause big costs for the industrial sector here. And EPA can't do that and lose because that is pretty uh, fatal to their credibility as regulator and to the concept of law and order. Mm. So, you know, um, the oil sector is a formidable peer of the federal environmental regulator, uh, and they have to strike compromises. Uh, and those compromises don't necessarily reflect the, um, the uh, truth of environmental law, but um, you know, they're, I mean, it's not too hard to imagine our governor kind of pulling the troops out, you know, the Texas National Guard or whatever we got. Um, you know, if the EPA is trying to shut, shut down, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's totally on the table. So, um, you know, they walk a fine line. Yeah, one example of that um, here in El Paso is regarding the ozone status. So, you know, there's been back and forth over the years whether or not El Paso is um, complying, uh, whether the air, the ozone levels are exceeding the federal limits under the Clean Air Act. And Texas has consistently argued that um, the ozone levels are so high in El Paso because of Mexico. And the EPA has argued that El Paso should be in non-attainment for ozone, which would trigger a bunch of other pollution controls. And ultimately, the courts basically sided with Texas on this one. So um, El Paso is in attainment for ozone, even though if you look at the numbers, um, it would appear that we are not in attainment for ozone. So there's that constant back and forth between what Texas wants and then what um, the EPA might be pushing for. So I think you know, they really try and pick their battles um, because often um, the Texas Attorney General is going to challenge <laughs> in court um, what the federal regulators want to do. And let me uh, say more on what Martha mentioned about non-attainment zones, especially as it relates to major and uh, minor permits. Uh, Non-attainment zone, like she said, is an area that the EPA says is in violation of federal air quality standards. Um, your major source threshold can be 250 tons of emissions per year for some things if you're in you know, the open country. But once you're in a non-attainment zone, it can fall to 100 tons per year or even 25 tons per year. Okay. So it, 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 when EPA declares a non-attainment zone, that has huge costs associated for companies that operate there. Um, and, you know, there's also talk of declaring non-attainment uh, in the Permian Basin, the big, um, yeah. you know, oil booming oil basin. Um, in reality, if the EPA declared a non-attainment zone, that would require such substantial cuts or such uh, increased permitting requirements for so many operators. Uh, you know, out in the scrub and desert that is that going to happen? Um, you know, if the EPA declares a non-attainment zone, are they going to follow through with enforcing all of that? It would be a big change.
I mean, it's, it's both the big change, but it's also, you know, I, and, and going through your article, uh, one, of, one of the examples that you, you bring out directly about this is actually in Corpus Christi and is, is tied to, to brine and, and kind of discharge water um, that at a particular plant that had, had proposed 110 million or 110 million gallons of brine they were going to pour into Corpus Christi Bay. Uh, and that was 2,200 times <laughs> above the, the daily threshold that, that EPA kind of pushed back on, right? And then you, you go on to note that, that this seems to have some kind of back and forth, and then EPA just drops the complaint. Um, and so, I mean, is it, this, this feels like a pattern you're identifying statewide across a, a myriad different kinds of issues, but, you know, this this somewhat resistance from the EPA. And then, you know, I don't know if you want to talk more about it or, you know, you've already addressed somewhat just that ability of Texas to really throw its weight around the federal government. Um, but this is this is kind of shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, let me just um, clarify something I said before about non-attainment zones. If the EPA declares a non-attainment zone, old sources are grandfathered under previous rules. So I didn't want to give the impression that they would then have to reduce emissions from all of these existing sources. Um, no, but still drastic change. Um, and uh, yeah, as you say, to the point of Corpus Christi, that was another case where the EPA came forward with very explicit objections saying in a letter, this was miscategorized as a minor source, this should be a major source. Uh, and um, yeah, those objections just sort of got lost in in uh, in nothing and in bureaucratic rules, um, you know, it's a long and uninteresting story of the rules by which those abrogate, those objections didn't get counted. Basically, they came too late, uh, the TCEQ said. However, it came too late because TCEQ categorized it as a minor source, which doesn't have to go over federal oversight. So the EPA just reviewed it on its own and said this should have come to us. You know, because this should be a major source mm. in Texas that, oh, too late, you're outside of the record of decision. Um, so, and the EPA said, oh, that's okay, sorry. No, no, that's that's helpful. Thank you. Um, so we're, we're coming to the, the end of our, of our time to chat about this. And, and while I still have a couple of minutes with you, I just, I want to uh, ask about... First, what do you think needs to happen to address this or to remedy this in any way? Are there things that we can be doing? Are there things that citizens should be doing? Um, and then are there other things that you really want to highlight that, you know, from, from from writing this, from all of the research you've done, from all the, the conversations that you've had, you know, are there other major takeaways you really want to leave people with? I'd say, um, you know, these are very complex processes and, you know, we had a very long story about it, but there's, um, you know, I think ways people still can get involved and educate themselves. Um, you know, I know like Airlines Houston is one group that puts a lot, a lot of information to residents so they know when these hearings are happening, they know when these deadlines are, because oftentimes people will find out and it's too late. Um, so you know, those sorts of community organizing efforts can make a big difference because even if a permit goes forward, there are um, cases where there have been concessions made or changes, but that really requires like people knowing and <laughs> putting that pressure on the regulators. Yeah, I would echo that. I'd say that um, 
people uh, need to be involved because sort of our our uh, democracy here, to, you know, needs that. And in fact, the Clean Air and Clean Water Act were designed uh, to have to you know, incorporate that public involvement. And it's important because if this is only a discussion between industry and industry-friendly regulators, then some obvious objections, real obvious problems might never be pointed out. Um, and that's where, you know, people come in. Industry can have all these lawyers working for them, uh, you know, to move these applications through. Uh, on the other side, you know, people scrutinizing them. Um, are just a few nonprofit workers and then citizens who are concerned about their own uh, situation. So it's important for people to be involved. You know, uh, for Texas is a strong and booming industry state, and uh, we're thankful for that. And we obviously need and use all this stuff that uh, we're provided with. But we also don't want to uh, follow the trajectories of places like London in the 1840s or Ohio and Indiana and their industrial booms, which, uh, you know, kind of just charge wantonly forward and then leave this horrible toxic wasteland that has to be uh, cleaned up. I think we're in a position where uh, we're smart enough these days to do it responsibly uh, and avoid uh, those situations that we've seen time and time before. But it's going to take a sort of minimum of public engagement. And I think also, you know, public awareness that these kind of issues are happening. I think one of uh, the things that resonated with me the most while reporting that is going back to that West Dallas resident. Um, she felt very seen when I broke down that this did not just happen in the West Dallas case, that it happened all across the state. And I think that like fueled like knowing that that ICN was working on this kind of and and kind of detailing all of these different examples refueled like her activism and um um because this is hard you know for for environmental organizations this is hard work and at times you know after um 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 failure or let down during permitting process one after the other, it just, it, it is a lot. So I think knowing that they're not alone and this is happening across the state and that they're contributing to this kind of hopefully potential change, I think goes a long way too. I really appreciate that. I appreciate both uh, Dylan and Anahonda uh, that, you know, the, the the kind of thread there that we, we didn't even touch on that, that runs throughout the story is also really talking to lawyers and realizing how few people are are working against these problems and how taxing that is. And so I, I really um, thank you for for bringing up that that dedication that these uh, these folks have to really trying to improve our environmental and health outcomes statewide and, and how it hard work that is. Um, so we're we're at we're at time. I, I just want to thank you again so much for for speaking with us and and for your time today and for sharing this outstanding article. Um, you can read it in publications across the state, but also certainly inside Climate News and Texas Tribune. Um, and thank you all three. Uh, thank you so much again for for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having us, Weston. Great show. Thank you. All right, and that's it. Thank you so much. This was great. This uh, this will run probably in like two weeks. We run on Mondays. Um, 
and next week is spoken for but this will be right after that uh and i'll, I'll send you um uh, a link to it afterwards and you know feel free to please distribute it to networks as is useful for you and you know pull audio clips anything you need uh, feel free to reach out and i really appreciate your time and, and please uh, if you have stories you'd like to discuss in the future we'd love to have you back on and, and chat about what you're working on thanks Weston. Yeah, this was really nice. I know we've all been on Texas standard, which is like two minutes to explain. <laughs> so it's really cool to like be able to expand. So thank you. Yeah, no, the, the hour format lets us actually have conversations. <laughs> so we can, can kind of dig into things. <laughs> all right, well, have a good one. Thanks Bye. all. Bye, y'all. We're going to go now to our researcher, Jaden Bray-Boyce, who has a quick update on how to get involved around Houston this week and opportunities for environmental engagement. Hello, everyone. I hope you're doing well. I'm delighted to highlight some incredible opportunities that are being held in Houston in the upcoming weeks. If you're looking for ways to get out of the house, I urge you to consider dedicating a portion of your time to a meaningful cause by participating in the packing of relief boxes for those who are in need. Join us as a volunteer at Bread of Life anytime between 8 a.m. and noon on January 23rd, 24th, or 25th, where you can collaborate with others in extending support to the local Houston community. For more information and to sign up for this impactful endeavor, please visit volunteerhouston.org. This presents a wonderful chance to lend a helping hand as well as learn about the joys of giving back. For those of you that are looking for outdoor activities, the Hershey Street Community Garden is looking for volunteers on January 27th, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Immerse yourself in the beauty of this community garden and make a positive impact. Given the limited spots available, be sure to secure your place by registering at volunteerhouston.org. And if you have a passion for environmental conservation, consider joining a tree planting workshop. For a small fee, you'll have the opportunity to be surrounded by nature, acquire knowledge about the optimal tree planting practices, and share moments with friends, families, or even strangers. The period from November to February is ideal for tree planting in Houston, and on January 27th from 10 a.m. to noon, the Houston Arboretum and Nature Center will be hosting a hands-on workshop. Explore the best techniques from selecting the right location to post-planting care. Don't let this fabulous opportunity pass you by. Head on over to the Houston Arboretum and Nature Center to sign up today. So with that, I wish you all a wonderful rest of your day. A quick reminder that if you're enjoying Gulf Streams, please check out our podcast. You can listen to previous episodes anytime on your favorite podcast app. We also feature occasional bonus content only available through the podcast, so please make sure to subscribe so that you can keep up to date on all the news, stories, and ideas featured here on Gulf Streams. Up next time on Gulf Streams, we'll be talking about climate change and migration, how the changing world is already creating new emergencies, and what the future holds in a world with a growing number of climate refugees. If you have questions or ideas for what you'd like featured on Gulf Streams, leave a voicemail at 713-348-4081 or email me at westont at rice.edu. Gulf Streams is a co-production of KPFT Houston and Rice's Center for Environmental Studies with support from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation and the Rice Sustainability Institute's Eco Studio. Produced by Weston Twardowski. Co-produced by Joseph Campana. Audio engineer Rico Enriquez. Research support provided by Jaden Bray-Boyce and Sienna Yen. 
Stay tuned for the R&R Show with Ronnie Renfro and Tom Richards here on KPFT Houston 90.1 FM, Galveston 89.5 FM, and Huntsville 89.7 FM.